correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom Thought for the day, heresy grows from idleness. Hello, Poxwalkers, and welcome to episode 108 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a very strange episode to come in on, because we're not going to be following our regular format today. Uh, we're a podcast that talks about role-playing in the Warhammer 40k universe. Uh, for a long time, we followed the role-playing games created by uh, Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, then we followed the change to Ulysses North America, and now we are waiting on updates from uh, Cubicle 7 on the re-release of Wrath and Glory. Uh, towards the end of 2019, uh, shows got a little bit sparse. We were sort of doing one every month, one every other month, you know, a long way from our original sort of once every two week shows. Uh, and it was just becoming harder and harder to put together a, a show when there was really just no news coming out about the role-playing game. Uh, we were talking a lot about the 40K universe in general, about the meta, about the storyline. Uh, which I think was still decent content, but there were lots of other podcasts that also cover this. Uh, and we had our own lives and families going on too. So we decided to put the show on a hiatus. And, and this is not a true return from the hiatus. This is really just, uh, we're ducking in for a quick chat because, uh, at the time we're recording this, uh, we're right in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, if you don't know what COVID-19 is, you must be listening to this show a long way in the future. Maybe some sort of, historical archive that's been discovered in a, in a, in a far distant time. Uh, but uh, for us right now, we're right in the thick of it. We're stuck at home. Uh, everybody's locked down right now. And we thought probably a lot of our listeners are in the same boat as well. Uh, and so we thought what we should do is record a podcast anyway, talk about what we do know about the role-playing game, what's been going on with 40K in general and Games Workshop. Uh, we're not going to go through the regular format of doing character building and rules discussion and review. It's just going to be a bit of time of Mike and I chatting about 40K and the RPG and all that sort of stuff as well. And hopefully, uh, while you are stuck at home, it gives you something to listen to while you're doing your own painting or your own work from home, or whatever it is you're going to be doing at your home for the time being. So, Mike, I'll start off with, um, so it's been since October. So what have you been up to since October when we last spoke to our listeners? Gaming-wise, we've had, we've had some games of our 40K game, which I've been running for us. Um, we've had some Battletech games. We did a one-shot adventure of the Alien RPG. Alien RPG, yep, definitely. Yep, yep, and that's about it really, isn't it? I can't think of anything else we've done. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I've probably done some other gaming projects as well, but it, it's probably, it's worthwhile you, you spoke about the um, your Wrath and Glory game there, because I want to come back to that as part of a further discussion topic a bit later on. Um, yep. But for my part, uh, as of the last show, 
you might recall that uh, I was actually participating in a Wrath and Glory campaign as well uh, yep. on Twitch and on YouTube, um, a show called uh, Dark Inquisition run by uh, AP Gaming Real. Uh, we've also, as you mentioned, been doing your uh, Wrath and Glory game. We've been playing a bit of 40K as well, uh, not while we've been locked down, but certainly uh, we got quite a few games in. We've managed to expand our gaming group somewhat by adding in a, a friend of ours who hasn't played 40K for some time and had a, a Black Templar's army ready to go. He, uh, yeah. he, he joined our group. Uh, so we got some games in there. I actually started or almost started right before we got locked down a new Kill Team campaign with some friends as well. So I, I started a new Kill Team. I made myself a Thousand Suns Kill Team. Um, yeah. I, I was going to go Death Guard, but then I discovered that Death Guard miniatures are no longer... Well, the Death Guard Plague Marine box set is no longer available in stores for Games Workshop. It's a web-only purchase. Yeah. Um, so on the day that I was like, it was, I was going to be playing my first game of Kill Team the following day, and I went into a DW store. I'm like, well, I can't order something now, so I'm going to buy something else. So I bought the Thousand Suns starter box and threw together some Zanglors and some Rubik Marines to have a go with. And I think I, I won one and lost one. So that's actually only, it's my second game of Kill Team that I've won. Um, yeah. I've lost a lot of Kill Team. Um, as you mentioned... No we, gloom and castles in Kill Team, mate. No, that's right, exactly. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, we did the Alien RPG, which I think was a lot of fun. Uh, this yeah. is the game, uh, I can't remember what they're called now without looking it up, this coming which brought it out. The same group which did um, uh, Tales from the Loop. Uh, so it's a European game company. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a very interesting little system, I thought. Um, it fit nicely into the sort of cinematic horror style of Alien. I think that it wouldn't work as well for a campaign game. And they, there are campaign rules in the book, but I just think that the, the advantage of the horror story, ho the horror storytelling genre is that it's usually built around key individual events. Where there's, you know, especially in a lot of like sci-fi horror films, a lot of people die in one go. Uh, so the the cinematic play style of the game, where you sort of do one-shot games, which are more like a horror movie, I think really worked quite well. Um, yeah. And I think that we played the uh, the Chariot of the Gods, uh, sort of not Kickstarter, but like um, example scenario you can get from Drive RPG, and had a lot of fun with that. You mentioned BattleTech, so we've been playing a lot of BattleTech. Uh, I've also, I did a bit, a little bit of Scion last year. It's been pretty hard to get my Scion group together because we meet on the same day that I do streaming. Uh, yep. so when daylight saving in Australia conflicts with the US, there, I, I can't do both games in one day, but moving into the Australian winter, the US summer, uh, and the clocks change, I'll be able to do that again once I can actually leave the house to play with, with those friends. Uh, and I also did some Numenera as well, but, uh, really, no regular gaming other than online stuff now for probably a good month, I'd say. Oh, and of course the Pendragon campaign. I don't, I don't know if we started Pendragon back in October. I think that's happened since then. No, no, that that's happened since. Well, I think we were discussing it back yeah, then. Yeah, that's it. So that that's certainly a a very different game because you're playing basically one session equals one year. Uh, and I think that's an interesting way of doing it, where you sort of do this is the big event for that year. Then we work out how the characters develop. Um, over the course of that year in terms of their families, their households, um, their own stats as well. And eventually, uh, those characters will die of old age and the players will take over their descendants. So it's sort of a generational game. Um, I, I had some friends that, uh, back when Pendragon was new in the, in the early nineties, did a, did like a multi, like five or six year 
game using the Pendragon rules to do sort of like a, a Pharaohs of Egypt style thing that took place over a much longer period of time than the Pendragon setting, which is only about 90, uh, maybe about 100 years or something like that. But certainly yeah. only enough for about sort of three or four generations in that time. So yeah, a lot of gaming there. Um, okay, let's come back to talking about Wrath and Glory as well, uh, because uh, we'll start with you, Mike. So, uh, you reached out to us, uh, recently while you've been at home saying that, uh, you're thinking you would rather go from Wrath and Glory back to the old FFG games or at least a, a, a variation therein. Yeah, Dark Heresy Second Edition is what I've decided to go with. Um, I think it was the most refined of the FFG ones. Um, I just find Wrath and Glory at the moment a little too cumbersome to use and a little bit lacking in material as well. Okay, so 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 I, I want to sort of delve a bit deeper into those things. So, I mean, the lack of material is pretty straightforward. We've only really got one book plus the, the starter pack. So, yeah. uh, and let's be honest... What's in that book as far as character creation options go is actually quite extensive. It's a lot more than you had in, you know, things like Dark Heresy where you only had uh, six or I think it was six roles. Um, obviously, that's expanded by, by multiple backgrounds, multiple homeworlds, but at the end of the day, you've still got those core character concepts, whereas you've got something like 40 archetypes in Wrath and Glory. But depending yeah. on the, the scale of game you want to play, that archetype choice becomes a lot more limited too. Um, yeah. Certainly, we were playing a tier two game, um, so we had what we had a an acolyte, an assassin, a rogue trader, and a who am I missing? Oh, and a sister of battle that dropped out of the game. Oh, and, 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 and a, tech, and a tech, tech, priest. tech priest. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Which was sort of a modifier because tech priest is normally a, a tier three, but we we modified it down. Okay, yeah. so there's there's the scope of choice. Um, so tell me about, about, about the, the rules. Like, like, were there rules that particularly jarred you at all? Or I think really what it comes down to is calculating percentages. Yep. If I say to a player, okay, well, I wouldn't say this to the player, but I go, okay, I want them to fail forward or I don't particularly want them to fail this role, but I want it to still be difficult to limit the amount of information they need. So I'll give, I know they've got a 40% skill, so if I give them a plus 10, that's a 50-50 chance. Okay. Easy enough? Yeah. Okay, how do you do that when they've got, okay, they've, they've got nine dice and they might roll some sixes to get double successes or they may not at all and these other things. It just makes it more difficult to work out where they are exactly and what the percentages are and what the chances are of doing things. Yeah, I mean, if, if you do the, the maths on it, the, the, you have a 0.67% chance of a success on any dice you roll. Um, which is based upon it's, it's a half-half because of four above six success, but six gives you an extra success. There's roughly a 16.7% chance of, of getting, getting a six. Um, yeah. so yeah, you're right. The, the, the mathematics on it is, is considerably harder. Uh, and the reason I'm delving into this is because, uh, as I mentioned before, I've been playing this Wrath and Glory campaign via YouTube, uh, coming up basically about a year. Uh, yeah. and we just finished the first story arc. Um, I gotta say, if you haven't been following the game, um, one of my favorite scenes in the whole story arc was literally the final scene because we didn't sort of end off with the climactic battle. We still had the climactic battle, but we ended off with the storyline of basically our characters all going their own separate ways. Um, yeah. like discussing why they're not going to keep working together, at least in the immediate future and, and going off to do their own thing. And someone in the audience, uh, when they were watching the show, commented it was very much like the final scene of The Breakfast Club, 
Um, and, and even uh, they made up fake lyrics to Don't You Forget About Me as uh, Don't You Interrogate Me uh, and started typing it in the chat. It was quite funny. Um, but yeah, it just, it just really rounded out the storyline quite nicely. Uh, but coming out of that show, the cast got together with the GM afterwards and we had a talk and the GM told us he really wasn't feeling Wrath and Glory at the time. Um, yeah. and, and two of the cast members were also pretty down on the system. Um, I didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, the, the key thing that was pointed to by the players as to why they were struggling was that the combat in it was very, very swingy in that, um, a lot of opponents simply could not damage the PCs. It was, yeah. it was next to impossible. They were firing damage seven plus one ED damage las guns at characters which had 10 or 11 resilience. So they literally to do any damage, they would have to get multiple extra sixes to convert after the hitting the player's um, defense. Uh, and then they could maybe do one damage or one shock, in fact, as well, uh, even when they ganged up. Uh, alternatively, um, towards the end of the campaign, and this is a slight spoiler here, we we're dealing with gene stealers. Gene stealers with a base damage of 11 plus their ED and like a penetration of six. Um, if you get hit by them, you're dead. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, because tier two carries have like six or seven wounds. Um, so if you're only talking off your four resilience, you, your base, the base damage with that penetration, regard, you know, irrespective of extra dice, is going to probably take you out as well. Um, so it was very hard to get a fight which felt like it was nicely balanced from that point of view. There was either stuff that was just way too easy or stuff that felt way too hard. Yeah, and if the character's designed specifically to fight, they feel very, very powerful in a fight. And if the character's not designed to fight, they feel very, very useless. Yeah, and that was interesting I found with my character in that game because we had, I would say, all four characters were combat characters. So the yeah. four archetypes we had were a Space Marine Scout, a Inquisitorial Acolyte, a Tempestus Scion, and a uh, Eldar Ranger. Um, so... By the end of the campaign, the Acolyte and the Scion were both wearing power armor. Yeah. You know, the Marine was, you know, already with the Marine stats. So they all had a resilience of 11 plus. Um, whereas I, playing the, the Eldar, had a, I think, a, only had like a resilience of seven, you know, which is like the base toughness plus a, a conversion field. Um, but what I had was like a defense of six most of the time. So I was pretty hard to hit, but if I did hit, I was like down in one hit. That was it. Um, and so every time I got attacked, it was like, okay, well, tense to see if I actually get hit here or not. And for the GM, you know, obviously, because I've tried to then maximize my defense, because for the GM, it's like, well, attacking this guy's pointless because my, my guy's never going to hit him when he's got a defense yeah. of six plus, depending on whether he's in darkness or whether he's in shadow because he's got a chameleon line cloak. Um, so that was probably the, the, that was the main thing that the group focused on when it came to, the, the distaste around Wrath and Glory. Uh, and, and there was, you know, to an extent, some talk about um, the, the the amount of options available to us as well. And by the yeah. time we finished the campaign or finished the, the, the season, uh, we had, um, we'd reached basically the, the XP level of Tier 3. Uh, and so we talked about, well, what do we want to do next? Do, you know, do we want to keep playing this? Do we want to keep playing the same characters? You know, does anyone want to remake characters Tier 3? How do you feel about it? And, you know, the GM really, well, so, so first off, the GM said partway through, um, the, the campaign towards the end that he thinks yeah. this will be a one and done campaign, one season and it's over. 
Um, and, and given that this guy, you know, does make something of his living out of streaming online games, um, he's most popular on being a Battletech game. Uh, I said to him afterwards, like, the only thing I'd, I'd encourage you to consider is the fact that as far as the Warhammer world goes, it's on the up and up right now. You know, you've got a TV series coming. You've now got these new um, Bolter and Hammer um, uh, cartoons coming. You've got a new yeah. edition of the game coming probably around Gen Con. Um, there will be people entering the market, you know, in the in the latter half of 2020 that will want to find out more about, you know, Wrath and Glory. And by having that show up there, you've got the potential to drive those viewers to your channel and therefore pick up things like ad revenue, et cetera. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the outcome of the conversation was that we're going to wait until Wrath and Glory is re-released later on this year, hopefully later on this year. And we know that uh, Cubicle 7 put out a request for uh, people to come and run Wrath and Glory uh, sessions at both Origins and Gen Con, which are both in the middle of the year. Whether or not they'll still run at this point in time because of the COVID-19 virus, we don't know. They are still running currently as of the time of this recording. Um, but I guess it's reasonable to assume that if they're running sample games, they're probably going to feel pretty close to having something ready to release, hopefully around the, the Origins Gen Con period. So yeah. if, if that turns a corner and all our issues are answered, then no problem. We'll go back and we'll do a second season of Wrath and Glory. Um, in the meantime, um, there is still taste on this guy's channel for more 40k role playing. Um, there has also been, uh, cause this guy has run something like over 50 systems online over the past seven years or something. Um, there was also a taste from the audience who wanted to see him as a player. So what we're doing in the meantime is I'm actually running a road trader campaign, uh, using the FFG road trader rules, uh, for yeah. the same group. So the same other three players plus the gym now as a player. Um, which started off this Sunday, just past, or Saturday US time, because we, we record it um, 8 p.m. Eastern US time on Twitch live. Um, and, and we had the first session, that seemed to go pretty well. So, I mean, that'll give us something to keep doing uh, while we work out what's going to happen with Wrath and Glory going forward. So, certainly, I'm I'm not writing Wrath and Glory off by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I still do enjoy the system. It's certainly got, you know, like any system, it's got flaws. Um, yeah. And really, Ulysses didn't have, have it for long enough to get those flaws worked out because someone said this to me perfectly is that you could have a hundred people play test a game before it comes out, but the day that it comes out, and this is especially with computer games, a million people play test it. Um, and you know, it might not be that much in a, with a role playing game, certainly, but a lot more people you, than you could ever get to play test it before it gets released, start playing it straight away when it comes out. And there'll be flaws that the play test has missed. Um, and Absolutely. yeah, that's yeah. why games have iterative processes. That's why they have further editions. They have splat books. And we just didn't get that with Wrath and Glory. Everything that came out for Wrath and Glory was out, was out on day one. Um, and so everything past that point now is what we're waiting for from Cubicle 7. So let's, um, let's go down into the Cubicle 7 sort of, um, announcements. So we've seen quite a few, because they had, originally they had Warhammer Friday, which was supposed to be every Friday something about Warhammer. Um, it's not been. <laughs> they, they may be one in every eight or so Fridays we'll actually see something about Warhammer, and it's usually a new piece of art. You know, here's a picture of a White Sky Genesessor. How cool is this? Yeah. Moving right along. But there was some meat this week just passed, and, and Mike, I mean, I think you probably went into further detail with that article, so why don't you tell us more about what you read? Okay, so they, they, they do, they, they release a little teaser about how they're changing character creation, which I believe was a bit of a bugbear with the system. 
Um, with the, the previous edition, you know, the, what they had was you'd pick your archetype and that would be used to make your entire character. But it did mean that every character that used the same archetype felt very similar. Would you agree with that? Oh, I definitely agree with that, yes. Okay, so what they've done is they've, they've said essentially that we're going to remove prerequisites so that they won't all have to have exactly the same requirements. Um, that's good and bad, in my opinion. Uh, I can certainly see that it will open it up a bit more to be different character styles, but it can lead to things like space marines who don't know how to shoot guns, depending on what the person makes. Yeah. Um, They've also added in suggested attributes and skills, which take the place of prerequisites. So that's just them saying that, yes, your space marine should probably know how to shoot a gun and should probably be kind of strong and tough. Um, other changes were they were adding in a whole bunch of new talents to make the characters a bit more different. And they were adding in the ability that when you increase as an experience, you can do things like move up in rank, change your archetype. Um, so, you know, your ganger can become a rogue trader eventually if they put in the hard work and talk to the right people and get a warrant of trade. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably a pretty extreme example. It is, but it's possible, you know. Yep. Yeah, I mean, certainly um, when I was playing the older character on um, uh, on the show, I, I, was, I was really planning with that character if it did go to a second show or a second season at tier three to remake the character as a warlock because eldar do um go through their path changes throughout their life um yeah. and i was sort of hamming up as you know because i was, was going to play the character quite differently as well because often their personality can change as, as a part of that that path change as well mm. um and, and i think that the system as it stood supported that uh, through a sort of optional rule you know that you could use the same rules that uh you used to allow a Space Marine Scout to convert to a Space Marine um, or a regular Tactical Marine. Uh, what was interesting was that uh, when I built the character, or when I was sort of leveling it up, I realized that there was a point in spending experience that I had to stop spending experience points if I didn't want to lose things when I remade the character as a Warlock, because the 70-point cost of the Warlock was quite substantial, compared to, I think, like the 20 build point cost of the Ranger. So there was like 50. And, and yep, sure, for that, you got some free psychic powers, and I could basically get back the, the 10 points I spent on Spite. Um, but, yeah, I literally had to sort of like stop like 32 XP out from um, Tier 3 and just sort of save those XP so that the character didn't lose skills uh, upon conversion. Um, yeah. And once again, because the system wasn't really designed for that. You know, there's optional rules, but it was they're, they're exactly that. Um, I've also been following from Cubicle 7 the development of their fantasy stuff. So, obviously, Warhammer Fantasy came out again um, last year, and um, it's a very nice book. I, I, I've been into gaming stores so many times and picked the book up and leafed through it and thought, should I buy this to put it on my shelf alongside the three previous editions of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay I've got? Um, I'm not going to probably play it. But, you know, it is still a, a mainstay. And I haven't bought it yet, but I'm, I can tell you, every time I go to the city, I always walk past a particular game store that's always got it on the shelf, and I'm always questioning. And, and in fact, last time I probably would have bought it, except for the fact the copy they had on the shelf had a damage cover. Um, ah. So <laughs> they, they lost my money. Um, 
but also the Age of Sigma role-playing game. Um, I've been interested that, I mean, one of the things that made Warhammer Fantasy role-play quite, you, well, not unique, but certainly quite different in its time, was the fact that you weren't playing heroes. You were playing chefs or rat catchers or street urchins, you know. Whereas you look at the archetypes they've described for creation in the Age of Sigma role-playing game, and they are certainly, you know, the heroes of the setting as well. So um, yeah. I'll be interested to see how, how that game turns out as well, whether they do go down the same path of Wrath and Glory as this more of a generic role-playing system and let the players work out how their characters potentially come together. Um, what about 40K in general? Because 40K has actually been through quite a bit since we last chatted back in, in October. Oh. Pretty much all of the Psychic Awakening stuff's come out. Well, I think all which we had out was the first book in October, I believe. Uh, I don't I think the first book is out because the um, so so the Sisters of Battle box set came out in November, and I'm pretty sure the Sisters of Battle box set was one of the first things that came out right before Psychic Awakening. It might have been November December, I think, were the first two books, but uh, uh, I can't because remember the first. Um, uh, the first advert for Psychic Awakening, I'm pretty sure, included reference to the Depth of Sororitas with the, the Fleur de Lis appearing at the end. Um, yeah. But, okay, well, let's talk about Psychic Awakening first. Regardless of when it came out, obviously, a lot of it's come out since then. Um, when they first announced it, and they're talking about how it's going to totally change up the rule set and have stuff for every single race, my first thought was to think back to The Gathering Storm, which came out at the end of 7th edition, into eighth, and this was probably the biggest event in the history of the 40k setting. So this was the destruction of Cadia, Abaddon's thirteenth Black Crusade, um, you know, the resurrection of of Robert Gulliman, the, you know, the creation of Primaris Marines. You know, everything about 40k substantially changed. You know, the Cicatrix Maledictum, the um, all that's the Dominus Crusade. All that happened as a part of or flow on from the Gathering Storm, and, yeah. and it's probably a bit naive to think that they would do that again less than two years later with Psychic Awakening, but I did expect something a little bit world-changing. You've, I, I read, I think I read all the fluff in the first couple of books. I am behind on reading the books, but I think are you been getting all the books and, and reading all the fluff, Mike, as it goes? Um, not all of it. Okay, I've, I've read a lot of it, a lot of the fluff. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, and and you might feel a bit differently on this one, but I just feel like it's business as usual. It's just here are some more things going on that means these these two factions are fighting. Um, I don't um, see the the meta changing substantially because of all the storyline changes. No, I, I think honestly that it's almost like a, a an update of what's actually going on. Yeah. It feels almost like when the when the, look at the codexes, they may as well have been written about what's happening as the you know. As the Eye of Terror rips open, yeah. they very rarely go in depth into what's happened after that. Um, and I think really it's kind of silly when you have, oh, the Eye of Terror's ripped open, they've done the Indominus Crusade, 500 years have passed, or however many hundred it's been, and the codexes mention pretty much nothing about that. Yeah. So I think really these books just kind of update what's going on to bring it up to date with where the where it's supposed to be, where the storyline should be. Because from memory, we're, we're about 150 years after the fall of Cadia. That's how long the Indominus Crusade took once Gulliman got back to Terra. So if you talk about, from the role-play game point of view, a character playing in the now of 40K will probably be too too young to have been around from the formation of the Cicatrix Valedictum. You, 
uh, originally when we were first um, checking out Wrath and Glory, my thought was around doing a setting, you know, immediately after the formation of the the Secretary's Maledictum and the, the cut-off communication with Terra, but the game setting is actually intended to be over 100 years after that fact um, yeah. in the current 40K meta. I mean, they brought back some. Well, not brought back, but they've done. They've done a lot of new re-sculpts um, in terms of the miniatures, and they've updated those characters in the process. So we obviously saw Jane Zar, we saw um, Jane Drakar, the, uh, the the Drakari one. Um, we saw a new model for Shadow Sun. Um, a lot of a lot of the uh, classic Space Marine characters getting the Primaris treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that a lot of Psychic Awakening, and, and this, okay, this, I'm going to put my cynic hat on for a second here. Psychic Awakening feels like it was made to sell books and models. Um, which, let's be No, you don't okay. say. Okay, and that's business. That's, that, that is oh. Games Workshop's business. Um, yeah. But it felt like the story took second fiddle to um, cramming in more models to buy, more Okay, I, I, I'm going to put this into perspective for you. Okay. When did Rogue Trader come out? The first edition. 1987. Okay, right. So in the 30 years after that, yep. all the way up until probably they did that first Galactic campaign. Yep. Which was, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. The story did not change at all. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I'd say that's true. So for 20 years, the story moved not at all. I mean, then it's I, moved I, at glacial pace since then over the last ten years, yeah. and all of a sudden people are going, "How come it's not moving any?" Fu-? No, it's not. Never going to move quickly, because as soon as you start moving it quickly, you're going to end up with what you had with um, Vampire. Do you remember Vampire, the the original original White Wolf yeah, Vampire? Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, yeah, even Star Wars. They have storylines set in generations of the lifespans of these vampires. Yeah. Then yeah. they started releasing loads and loads of books, and they felt for some reason, the need every book to progress the storyline a certain amount. And suddenly it becomes a case that a storyline which should be taking a hundred years is dealt with in this case of, what, five years? Yeah. You've got to slow down the pace. And, yeah, it's going to be a glacial pace for this storyline progression, and it should be. We saw this somewhat with Star Wars before the reset for Legends after Disney acquired it. But certainly the the old... Star Wars story book storyline went you know thousands of years into the past and thousands of years into the future because that was that they needed that scope to throw out all the various wacky things they wanted to put in to into yeah. Star Wars you know and that's how you end up with stuff like the use on Bong invasion which I'm still bitter about um, but <laughs> so you I mean you are right that 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 Games Workshop did go at, at quite a glacial pace for some time and I think that that's not just because they they wanted to. I think really that for a long while um, they were finding them, their feet as a game company, as a model company, and it was it's only when the books, I think, the the novels started to pick up a lot of interest that there was that need to sort of move storyline ahead so that you know future developments could take place, new new characters could enter the meta, old characters could could die off and leave. I mean, like we said it before, that chaos as a concept in 40k, or sorry, chaos space marines as a concept in 40k, only really appeared in order to have marines fighting marines in the original epic 40k 
um, yeah. the, spa- the Space Marine box set, basically. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, and anyway, and, th- and they're now a mainstay of, of the setting as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, personally, I've been a little bit disappointed by Psychic Awakening. Um, I mean, I've still, I've been buying all the books, uh, even for books, I've been even buying books for armies that I don't collect, you know, so, um, I, I recently bought the Space Wolf Orcs book, and I'm, I will never ever collect Space Wolves. I will never ever collect Orcs. I'm sorry out there to Space Wolf and Orc friends, fans. But it's just, they're not for me. Um, that being said, I have one Space Wolf model and I have, uh, a, a single squad of boys. Um, but anyway, <laughs> getting back to it. Uh, but I still wanted to read the storyline and, and see how that developed. And, and so I, I bought all those books. And I will admit that I also bought the box set, even though I, 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 I really was struggling with whether or not to buy the new, um, the Space Wolves versus Orcs box set because as I said, I'm never going to play Orcs. Yep, I can take the Space Wolves and, and use them from the rest of my other, my other Marine armies, but at the end of the day, it's a single Space Wolf character, which would be next to impossible to convert to anything but a Space Wolf, um, yeah. and then a squad of infiltrators. So yeah. I'm basically spending 260 Australian dollars, so let's say um, 190 US dollars on something that would, you know, what, on, on what I would use roughly 70 US dollars worth of models, or 60 US dollars worth of models. Um, but, you know, that's just my style. And a book. And a book, and a book, that's true. But, yeah, but I also bought the, the main book too. But it's all kind of moot because right now GW is in a shutdown because of COVID-19. So nobody's getting their orders right now. Um, yeah. but I'm happy to wait. I'm happy to wait because I'm not, I, I wasn't jonesing for my, for my orc and space war fix. Um, I'm yeah. happy to get it when I did. I, I'll tell you what, I am so glad that this shutdown happened after they finally got me the rest of my sister battle stuff. Like I, because I, I bought the Sisters of Battle box set back at the end of last year. Um, when the rule book came out, I worked out what army I wanted. I, d- I did my list up. Uh, and then they started releasing the models in January. Yeah, so the Battle Sisters squads came out. The Rep- Retribution yeah. squads came out. But then they just stopped for like two months. There was like nothing. Um, and they were missing the Canon S, like the, uh, the HQ, the stand HQ model. Um, you know, they didn't have the Seraphim. Um, yeah, and it just, I was just, every every week I was looking at the what's coming out this week, not Sisters of Battle again, you know. Uh, and so I had people say to me, hey, you know, let's have a game. You're going to use your Sisters of Battle. I'm like, I'd love to, but I've only got half the models because the other half aren't released yet. Um, but <laughs> they did, like, two weeks before the shutdown occur, get out the last batch of Sisters of Battle stuff. Um, so now I've, I've got to, actually, I, I tell a lie. I only ended up buying two of the three emulators, so I do need to find a third emulator somewhere that's actually still open. But there are plenty of hobby stores that are still doing mail order right now, even without GW being open. And, and while we're talking about Sisters of Battle, let me whinge for a second here. <laughs> you whinge now. <laughs> um, one of the things that we saw in 8th edition, and we spoke about it on the show in the past, is that um, historically with GW miniatures, you know, conversions were an interesting thing to get involved in, you know modify the weapon that's on the model, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of the old codexes and rules for models would have various weapon options you could choose. You know, So if I took an Ortark from uh, the Eldar, for example, because an Ortark is somebody who has walked multiple warrior paths in the past, they can yeah. take the signature weapons of multiple different um, uh, aspect warriors. They can have swooping hawk wings. They can have a banshee mask. They can have a... 
uh, a, a scorpion chainsaw. Oh, I, I remember second edition fighting against an Exarch yep. with Warp Spider Jump Pack yep. and a uh, Dark Reaper missile launcher. Yep. What's wrong with yeah, that? Yeah, that, that was totally fun to fight against. <laughs> Not broken at all. But, but that's just an example. So, so, acceptable. so you can put together these. Now, when they started bringing out, um, so when they put out the indexes at the start of 8th edition, they support all these options. You know, everything you, yeah. everything you could have previously done in the past, you could do using index. But when they started bringing out the codexes, the codexes heavily limited, um, what you could get. So if you, if you took an, a, an Autark, it was an Autark with swooping hawk wings. Hey, hey, hey. Yep. Just because my assault chaos marine with his jump pack becomes an exalted champion. <laughs> Obviously, he's going to throw that jump pack away and only go on foot because he's now limited. There is no jump pack option for him. They will not use them. Sorcerers, yeah, sure, they can. But these exalted champions will never use a jump pack. Yeah. Or get on a bike. Um... Oh, get on a bike, please. <laughs> um, so, so that's what they did with, with the codexes. They, they, they limited you to what you could actually buy. You know, so once again, go back to the Autark. The Autark you buy from the shop comes with Sweeping Hawk Wings, Mandy Blasters, and a Fusion Pistol and a Power Sword. So that is the yeah. only option for an Autark in the, in the Craft World's Codex. That was okay for a while because you could use the Index options. Uh, it said, you know, if what you wanted to use was not in the Codex, you could revert back to the Index. Now yeah. what they've done is they've come out with the same sort of Legends thing where they said, okay, from this point onwards, bang, today, anything which is not in the Codex is now <laughs> Legends. Uh, and yeah. yep, we, we, yes, you can still use it. No, we're not going to update it anymore, and we don't recommend you use it for tournament play uh, because okay. there's no guarantee to be balanced going forward. So, so quick question: yep. Is this going to impact your heavy tournament play, James? <laughs> Do you really think I am going to care in a friendly game between us, even if we use points, that you're using the the, the index options or the legends options? No, I'm not going to care. It only affects tournament players. I'm not bothered by it. Okay. Well, let, let's, let me bring it back to where, where I was going to this point. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, I want to talk about the Canoness, the Sister of the Battle Canoness. Yeah. So there are currently today two Canoness models. Okay, there's the one that came in the limited edition Sister of the Battle box set from last year, and yeah. there is the one that came out about three weeks ago in the GW stores. Yeah. Um, now, the one that came out in the box set has a uh, a chainsword? No, has no, has it has it? Sorry, it has a power sword, a plasma pistol, and something called a rod of office. I think it's called a rod of office. That's it. Um, yeah. Now, when you go into the codex for Sisters of Battle, it says that the standard model comes with a chainsword and a bolt pistol, and it then goes on yeah. to say that um, if you have a bolt pistol and a chainsword you may take a rod of office. Or I think you can have a bolt pistol and a power sword and still take a rod of office. But literally, if you change to any other weapon, Inferno pistol, plasma pistol, you know, condemned a bolt gun, then the rod of office is completely locked out to you. Uh, now, yeah. first off, that meant that that model, when it came out, was illegal because it had a plasma pistol, not a, not a bolt pistol. They sent a rod of that to say that the option exists to use a plasma pistol with a, um, uh, with a, with a rod of office. But literally... You have to have that exact combination of plasma pistol and sword or bolt pistol and sword. Go forward now to the Canoness model, which came out only a few weeks ago. There is no rod of office piece in that sculpt. 
you know, there there are other oh. other rods. There's a null rod, but not a rod of office. So they once again that they've put in very very specific rules. They didn't just say that you know the sister battle cannoness can take a rod of office. They literally said as long as you have this gun and this sword, which is what comes on the model that comes with the rod of office, then you can take the rod of office. If you're making your own sister battle cannoness using the multi part kit or any sort of conversion. Screw you, no rod of office for you because you've got something other than a power sword and a puzzle pistol, so a bolt pistol. That I found really, really annoying. Like it was just, it, it, it was pedantry rules for the sake of focusing on that single sculpt that you literally can't even buy anymore because it was in a limited edition box. Um, yeah. Are you feeling my pain here? Are you feeling my anger, Mike? Am I, am I getting this across to you all right? I play Death Guard, James. <laughs> Have you looked at the Death Guard options for when you when you make an army for most of the models? Uh, they have not. That's because that's because of Dark Imperium, where you got all these Death Guard models that was monoposed with specific weapon options that you can't. Even change. the stuff that came out after that. Yeah. You know, Noxious Blightbringer, no options. Foul Blight Spawn, no options. Plague Surgeon, no options. Biologist Putrefier, no options. Because that's how the models are. There's no there's no, no variance. There's no variance in the models. Exactly. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's making the suggestion that the noxious blight ring or a plague surgeon would never, ever pick up a plasma pistol. Maybe they don't know how to. I mean, that, that's the only, only explanation, really, because, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I understand the reason why this happened. This happened because of a court case that they lost some years ago. They lost a court case against someone because they put a court case together about... Um, IP infringement, so they hadn't released certain character models. Yep. Someone else went, you know what? We're going to release a character model for this character that you have never released. And they took that to court saying they have released a, I can't even remember what model it was. It was some Imperial Guard model where they never actually released the character model. And they tried taking someone to court and they lost because the argument was you have never made a model for that character. Therefore, it's free range. Yeah, so, any, anybody buying that is not taking business away from you because you had no business to meet that market. Exactly. Yeah. And as a result, they've, but it, it does. It absolutely kills the, a lot of the creativity of the, um, of the conversion market. I mean, weapon swaps are the easiest conversion to do. Anyone can do a weapon swap. doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. Pretty much anyone can cut off a gun and stick a different gun on there. Yeah. If you can stick the model together in the first place, you can do that conversion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's why, yeah, I, I really struggle with, with some of those like highly limiting rules in order to, to, in order to do that because I don't, I think it just takes that, that, that fun side out. I, I remember going back to Rogue Trader days, like literally working out every single piece of gear that a character could carry based upon like, you know, different individual gear point costs rather than and I do think that you know, the, the advantage of 8th edition is you can put together army lists very, very quickly, um, yeah. especially using services like Battlescribe. Um, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good testament to GW that they have allowed things like Battlescribe to continue existing um, because yeah. they do really reduce the barrier to entry on games, on tournaments, on that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, go ahead. I, I think it adds another level of help to tournament level play as well yeah. if someone has a squad of intercessors on the board you know exactly what they're equipped with because they can only be equipped with one or two three things yeah. you know if i put out a plague surgeon they know exactly what he's got because he can only have 
what he comes with in the book. Yeah, and yeah, WYSIWYG becomes king. Yeah, exactly. Let me um, just tell you too, Mike, that that I really do feel like I got trolled by GW this weekend. Um, yeah. I because this weekend just passed was supposed to be Adepticon, and Adepticon is one of the biggest events in the Games Workshop calendar, and they always do big reveals there. And with COVID nineteen going on, Adepticon was cancelled. And yeah, they did, did, did their announcement. They did, they did their online announcement. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and the day before it was on, I saw that they announced all the times, and it was going to start at at um, one quarter to one in the morning on a Australian s- time. You know, Sunday morning Australian time. And I thought, look, I don't go to bed usually at one a.m. I don't mind staying up a bit just to see what these announcements are. You know, I'll stay up at um, quarter to one. Um, and so I got on, and you know, they, they come on with the, the two guys doing the current Warhammer Weekly videos and. They explained that um, uh, I think Wade and Eddie, I think the guys' names. Uh, they explained that uh, they're going to be basically doing an announcement every 15 minutes. So that they they do an announcement, they talk about it. If they didn't go 15 minutes, they'd go to just a, you know a standby video, and then every 15 minutes, bang, new announcement. And about yeah. five minutes after the stream started, I got an email from from Games Workshop saying, you know, come and check out you know the stream. It's on now. Um, and the the title of the email was, you know, the lion returns. Yes, it's true. Now, yeah. for a long time, people have been speculating that they are working up towards an additional Primark in the forty k uh, not a forty k um, tabletop. So, yeah. in terms of Primarchs, you can play today. We've got um, Mortarian, we've got Magnus, and we've got Gulliman. I'm missing anybody. That's, that's it, isn't it, for models that are available? Well, there? It's a wound counter to mark the spot where the corpse of Ferris Manus is. Yeah, that's true. Yep. <laughs> hey, for all those, all those, all those kits I come with, get with multiple heads. I've got, you know, they've got plenty of spare heads that could easily play part of Ferris Manus. <laughs> just put a head on the base, sitting on the ground. There you go. <laughs> it's just as effective whether he's there or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're the three points I got. So um, a lot of people have been thinking Fulgrim. Certainly, Fulgrim was one that um, people were saying that we're going to see. Um, and other people were focusing on um, uh, Lionel Johnson. Others had sort of thought that they're going to bring Lehman Russ back. Others had focused on potentially Vulcan. Um, but most people who were thinking it's going to be a loyalist Primark were banking on it being Lionel Johnson. So, yeah. bang, here's this, you know, big reveals happening tonight. Um, the lion is back. Yes, it's true. Um, so they start doing these 15-minute updates. So the first one... Bolter and Hammer, um, Hammer and Bolter, sorry, the cartoon show. Great, okay. Next one is these new high elf cow creatures from Age of Sigma. Like sort of giant mountain cows. Mountain cows, sort of things like Minotaur type things. Um, They've got mountains on their backs, though. Yep, that's it, okay. Uh, then we get a, a 40k announcement, and this one is Fabius Bile. Now, Fabius Bile had been announced, not announced, they had shown teaser pictures of the model. So that everybody knew without a doubt Fabius Bile was coming. You know, the, yeah. the, the revelation was just the picture of the full model, not the fact that, that Bile was coming back. They, yeah. they did the exact same thing with Mephiston during um, the Blood of Bile uh, part of um, Psychic Awakening. Okay, yeah. so move, moving on from that, they did a Warcry announcement about one of the new Warcry things. Uh, so, and, and they, in the original email, they sort of had like these five silhouettes. And you could tell from the silhouettes, okay, which ones have we ticked off? Okay, we've ticked off. There's, uh, and then there was also, um, a, I think, Ema from Lord of the Rings uh, was one yeah. of the others as well. So they've ticked off every single one of those silhouettes except for this last silhouette, 
which you can see is more than likely going to be Lionel Johnson. And then bang, up it comes. Horus Heresy model from Forge World um, yeah. of the line. And <laughs> so first off, I personally didn't know they hadn't yet released the line for Horus Heresy. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, in my head, for me, I had it in my head that they, they were all out now. Um, I didn't know that because I don't really follow the Horus Heresy game. I know you do. I mean, I, I read the books, but I don't really follow the, the miniature game of it so much at the moment. Um, yeah. And I just felt so trolled. That, you know, in, 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 a, in a market or in a world where people are discussing the likelihood of this Primark coming back, to then have that as the title of their, you know, come watch this video email, to leave that reveal until the very end, you know, when probably out of, out of the, out of the games they mentioned between, between Warcry, 40k, Horus Heresy, and, uh, Lord of the Rings, I, I would almost say that Horus Heresy's probably got the least patronage. Um, but, uh, I, don't, I mean, Warcry's taken off, it's taken all by storm right now, from what I understand. But I don't really, I don't really move in the Age of Sigma lines, but I just feel, yeah. I just feel like it was a troll. And <laughs> people in the chat were saying it's a troll as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really long way of me just bitching about, uh, how I stayed up until like quarter past two to get trolled by DW in the morning when I had a game the next day. I was running a game the next day, in fact. Well, you get what you pay for, mate. That's true. That's true. That, uh, <laughs> nothing and you get nothing <laughs> and they they also um they, they had an adepticon miniature which because normally you go to adepticon there's a mini you can buy there and it's exclusive to the adepticon um yeah. and they uh they did have one um a space marine uh he's definitely an ultramarine um and can't be done for any yeah i think that the model actually has a sculpt i mean you could obviously change it but um Oh no, he hasn't got. He hasn't got a. Looking sculpt. at the model right now, there's no sculpt on him of an ultramarine. Oh, you're right. It's just yeah, he's just got that sort of that that Roman legionnaire style tassel belt and the and the gladius. Yeah, which right. is going to go absolutely amazingly with my minotaurs. Yes, that is true. Anyway, so this is his model, and they have said now because Adepticon's cancelled, you can buy that model online, which is great. Although I don't know how, but I actually have that model. I don't remember. Yeah, because he wasn't exclusive. He's, he's an event exclusive model, so he was used at Gen Con last year, for example. Oh, okay, remember that's what and we got him. A couple from. of other cons, and I think they may have used him for special openings of special event stores yeah. as well. So, so maybe because last year I did the um, the launch of the Grapevine store um, in Texas, and that one they had the two models yeah. there were the Terminator Captain with the like the Storm Bolter Fist and the yeah. the Terminator Chaplain. Um, ah, okay, yeah. But I must have gotten this guy, yeah, this lieutenant. At, you you uh, may have got him at the at opening in Queensland. Uh, I didn't go to the opening in Queensland. I, oh, no, actually, no, I did. I did go to the opening in Queensland. You're right, sorry. Uh, so I went to it after the fact, but they still had the model on the shelf. That's right. There you go. Yeah, and that's when I got my, my, my Land Raider, my Land Raider, um, whatever it's called, the one, the, the command unit. Ult- Ultimus. Yeah, or- which is now Legends, so can't use it. In- <laughs> <laughs> and I was halfway through painting it, too. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it's been um, GW has been quite interesting in the last. Um, oh, okay. The only thing I've talked about as well, by the way, it, I, I think so. There's two more things that GW did that I think really need to be discussed, even though they're not so much to do with the role playing game, but they do affect the overall setting. The yeah. first one, and probably the biggest one, is that Duncan Rhodes left Games Workshop. Yes. Sad face. Duncan, if you're not familiar, uh, ran the painting channel on um, on YouTube. Uh, uh, he sort of coined the whole two, kin- two thin coats thing, 
Um, a, lot, yeah. a lot of jokes about Duncan. You know, what, what does Duncan wear when he goes out in winter? Two thin coats. Um, but yeah, it was really like a, a strange thing for him to leave. He was such an iconic element of Games Workshop. And, and I, it's nice to see that he's got his own painting company going on now where he's doing, he's still doing painting videos, but he's doing GW miniatures. Um, other miniatures as well. He's doing some, um, some Iron Legion stuff, for example. Not Iron Legion, sorry. Um, uh, I forgot what it's called now. Um, Iron Kingdom, Iron Kingdom, um, yeah. stuff. And, uh, and he's using GW paints, but also Valigio paints and Army painter stuff. So he is giving us a, a, a more broad scope of what to paint and what to paint with, which I think is pretty cool. And he's, and he's certainly not doing any disservice to Games Workshop in what he does now. Um, yeah. but it was still a pretty big deal to see, to see Duncan leave in the last year. Um, now the other big thing I want to talk about was, um, Space Marines and what happened with Space Marines at the end of last year, start of this year, um, and the big Marine nerf, because I think that probably after it happened, anytime I walked into a game store, particularly a GW store for like the next two weeks, all people were talking about was the Space Marine nerf. So. You, so what, I'll explain what I like. Why don't you tell us about what was wrong with Space Marines and what they did to fix it? In what? In regards to the rules change? Yeah, the, do- the doctrine has changed basically. And, and, and what, 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 was, what, was the, what was the problem? What was the solution? So the problem they found was that everyone was picking exactly the same army and composition to win. Would you agree? Yep, definitely. Okay, so what they did was, instead of nerfing that one combination, they went, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make doctrines worse for everyone, which affects the army which is overperforming and all the others as well. So they said, from now on, your tactical doctrines, which represent the tactical flexibility of Marines and their ability to adapt to any situation, is now no longer adaptable at all. It automatically steps through step by step. With no choice, which makes zero sense. So, your response was a lot more bitter than I expected. I, I thought you were on board with this one, <laughs> and you just, no, you just totally shut it down. So, so let's. So, I got a bit more for the details. So, um, I, I understand why they did it. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I understand why they did it. I'm on board with them changing it so the iron hands aren't the only choice to make. Yeah. What I'm not on board with is making it that. that after describing it as being a tactical choice that allows complete taxi- tactical flexibility, then saying you have no flexibility in it. It just made no sense. Yeah. So, so the rule, if you're not familiar with the game, as, as this is the rule as it was. So Tactical Doctrines were brought in with 2nd edition um, Space Marine Codex for 8th edition. And it basically ran on the idea that Space Marines run an adaptable combat doctrine based upon yeah. the needs of the battlefield they're on. Uh, and we've spoken about it in the show in the past, but for example, when a Marine is trained, once they leave the, the scouts and become a full Marine, they enter service as a devastator because the idea is that firing a big gun at something downrange is probably the, the simplest skill you would have in warfare. Um, yeah. The second thing they would do is they, go, they, go, they then go and learn assault doctrine. So they would then go and learn to fight with, with, with blade um, and with hammer and um, you know, learn how to use a jump pack and then the tactical marine is sort of the pinnacle state because a tactical marine can combine those um, different doctrines together into a cohesive and adaptable uh, combat manner. So in terms of how they did that in the war game, they basically said, okay, there is a rule now called tactical doctrines where you have devastated doctrine, tactical doctrine, and assault doctrine. 
And the rule means that when you are in the relevant doctrine, weapons that can fly to that type, so heavy weapons for um, for Devastator, um, uh, rapid fire, um, yeah, pretty much things like your bolters, plasma guns, etc., for your tactical, and then your pistols, melee weapons um, for uh, for assault. And assault. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, when you're in that doctrine, those weapons gain uh, one additional armor penetration. So therefore, harder, harder for your enemy to resist. That in itself is okay. And you always start in Devastator Doctrine. Some armies have different mechanisms allow them to change that. And each turn after the first, you can choose, I want to go from Devastator Doctrine into Tactical Doctrine. You can't go back again, although there is a, there is a strategy which allows you to basically reset back to the start. Yeah, and then once which you, I copied off. And then once you're in Tactical Doctrine, um, in the subsequent turns, you can say, okay, I want to jump forward now into Assault Doctrine. And once you're there, you're stuck. Once again, unless you use that particular strategy. So that was pretty straightforward. Um, what changed it, though, was when they started bringing out rules for individual Marine chapters, they attached elements of those chapter disciplines to those doctrines. So to give yeah. you a couple of examples, uh, and these were, the, these were probably the two big ones that were really changing the way that the meta worked. Iron Hands, when they're in Devastator Doctrine, um, they didn't count heavy weapons, so they, they, they could move and fire heavy weapons without penalty. You can re-roll ones to hit. Okay. Yeah. Um, likewise, Imperial Fists, uh, when in Devastator Doctrine, add one to the damage of all heavy weapons. So, you yeah. know, a D6 Lasgum becomes D6 plus one. Um, what was that? Sorry, Mike? Against vehicles. Against, against vehicles and buildings. Don't forget buildings. Yeah, <laughs> everyone gets buildings because buildings are worthless in this edition. <laughs> except for Carry except on. for the Sororitas one. But I'll come back to that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, so what was happening was people were building armies that were focused on one doctrine. So Iron Hands, Imperial Fist, they were focused on. I'll start in Devastator, and I will never move from Devastator. You know, um, ones like uh, Blood Angels. Or, or Black Templars are built around how do I get to assault fast as possible and then stay there. Um, you know, you, they were building their, their, they, they weren't trying to play the long range game at the start, the mid range game in the middle, and the close range game at the end. They were just, how can I maximize my benefit from that? You mean they were playing to their tactical strength? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, and the outcome of this was that, um, Iron Hands particularly, um, raised to the top of every single tournament list. I think there was, uh, one tournament I'd heard about where out of like the um, 500 um, uh, people that entered, like 97 of them were Iron Hands lists. And of those, like 80 had a specific combination of the character Dreadnought with the Iron Stone, um, you know, to try and, and make this basically unkillable Dreadnought. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and that's the thing is like, if you don't want to have to change your list, don't take broken stuff because... They will find broken stuff and they will nerf it. So there was definitely, I think that there was a problem. Okay, there was yeah. the, the, the the problem was that there was there were clear and clear clear benefits. Now I, when the new marines started coming out, I decided I'm going to paint something new because I, I wanted to. I, I was thinking about doing an all Primaris army. I already had a lot of ultramarines, and so when the Salamanders and the Imperial Fist books came out, because I'd done Salamanders in Horus Heresy, despite never actually having played with my army. I, I went and bought the Salamanders book. I thought, I'm going to do some Salamanders now. And I read the rules and thought, these guys are great. You know, flame weapons everywhere. How can I get as much flame weapons as possible in the field? Oh, hold on a second. There's almost 
no flame options for Primaris. So yeah. that completely defeats the purpose of going for the full Primaris army. So I literally went back to the Games Workshop store the following day, because I was traveling, I was in another city for this, and I went and bought the Imperial Fist book. I thought, okay, I'm going to make an Imperial Fist army. And at this point in time, they'd just come out. I hadn't read what was going on in the, the meta at the time. I just read the book and then put together what I thought was a pretty consistent 2,000-point army. Um, and I got on the table probably about two months ago now, and I completely walked all over my opponent. Um, like, it was, it was one of those games where I felt like, I felt like he wasn't having fun. And, and I felt like a, I felt like that guy because it just, and, and I, and I hadn't intended it to be that list. Like, I, I, I mentioned before that list I made when you and I first played 8th edition, I, I was knowingly being that guy there because I had <laughs> never beaten you in 40k except for one particular game where I absolutely lucked out with a, with a teleportation role. Um, and so I was like, wow, Mike's really good at this. I need to have, I need to be my absolute A game. And so I took the most broke-tastic stuff I could. And it was just, <laughs> then I turned up with my, my completely fluffy, uh, well, that's right. Yeah. Who yeah. made it halfway across the board before you died. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I didn't, but I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I, I, I would rather have fluffy lists. And I thought that my Imperial Fist list was a nice combination of fluffy and interesting. Um, my biggest problem in 40k in the past has been that, Especially with Moltrine's army. Moltrine's army has got pretty much one of everything. I've got one Predator, one Land Raider, one Whirlwind. You know, um, okay, I've got like three Dreadnoughts, but I, I don't usually prescribe to the whole, take as many of this one good thing as I can. I like to have a variety on the field. Um, but when I made my Imperial Fist army, I, I did double down a few things. So it's got like, it's got two squads of, um, intercessors with, uh, Stalker Bolt Rifles. It's got two yeah. Repulsors and it's got three Flyers. Um, uh, because I thought, the way I'm going to maximize this army is I'm just going to focus on putting as many bolt weapons on the table, and I'm going to try and do a lot of damage to vehicles with troops by having three damage stalker bolt rifles um, on the table with my intercessors. Um, yeah. And yeah, and that battle, which was against Corn, was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, although, this is a player, I have to say, who in the last two games we've played with him keeps Khan the Betrayer back behind, <laughs> his, behind his lines to give re-rolls to hit to his tanks. So, hey, hey, hey. sometimes Khan's just killed enough, and he just feels like he has to sit back, <laughs> rest. He, you know what it is? He's got tendonitis. He's injured his wrist. <laughs> carpal tunnel, carpal tunnel syndrome. Carpal, carpal tunnel from swinging that heavy arf axe all day. <laughs> and Doctors that, told me an axe made for a Primark. Let's admit, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Makes sense now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he 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 did deserve to die. But, I mean, literally, you know, first turn, I flew two flyers over and shot Khan to hell because I could, you know, with, with assault cannon rounds. Um, but, yeah, I, I did feel like that guy. And, and that that particular player is a very good player for not letting the game get to him no matter how bad it goes. So he, did, he, he enjoyed the game. He didn't mind either way. But I don't think I would play that Imperial Fist list again in the same way. Um, and, and And now... I can't. I, I see no problem with playing like that. Yep. If you let the other person know that is what you're planning to do, and they that they do the they same. The same thing as well. Exactly right. Okay, so we we spoke about the problem now. So that, that's the problem. Imperial. Uh, so uh, Iron, Iron Hands, Imperial Fist were probably the two really strong ones. Um, yeah. But also there were other ones like Raven Guard had some tricky stuff they could do. Anyway, so the first thing they did is they came in and said, "Bang, we've completely changed the way doctrines work now. Here's the way it works. First turn, you're in devastated doctrine." Okay. Second turn, you're in tactical doctrine. 
no no way out of that. They, they've removed the the the, the strategy that allows you to go backwards. First turn devastator, second turn te- uh, tactical. Third turn, you can choose to stay in tactical or go to assault. But fourth turn onwards, you're in assault. That's it, um, and you're in assault for the rest of the game. So, what does that mean? That means for Iron Hands, they only get reroll ones to hit and uh, fire her weapons without uh, while moving um, without penalty in turn one. Yeah. Imperial Fists only get to have one to damage against vehicles and, and um, buildings in turn one. Um, yeah. And then once it, once it goes to turn two, their their ability is lost. Now I think that actually I think with with Iron Hands they still get the re, they still get the weapons without. Um, Without penalty, I think it's only the minus one uh, rerolling ones because Imperial Fist still get the um, sixes count twice on bolt weapons outside yeah, yeah, yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, no, you, you see, the ignore to move and the reroll ones was exclusively to the tactical doctrine. Okay, to the yeah, devastated doctrine. Sorry, yeah. doctrine. Yeah. So they lose both of those. Okay, they get to keep their actual chapter ability still, yeah. which is oh, still. Very good. Yeah. Which, which, what's that one again? Is because I, I know the improved this one is ignore ignore no using cover. Wounds feel no pain six plus on all wounds. Oh, yeah. Double wounds on vehicles damage tables and hit on fives and sixes with Overwatch. Okay, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty spectacular. I'm gonna say it's very good. The problem with the whole system was that that plus the devastated doctrine all meshed very well. It all sat very well together and it worked very well together but they could have fixed it simply by saying you don't get the reroll ones or you only get the reroll ones and you still suffer the penalty to scrap one of the bits of the rules for the devastated doctrine would have fixed the whole thing yeah so i think that yeah so so, so that those two don't cop that cop that the worst and um so look at look at for example ultramarines so ultramarines were probably the next in line in terms of which was doing best in the meta after those two. The Ultramarine special ability being that they can pull back from um, uh, from combat and still be able to shoot at a minus one penalty. Um, they have one other ability, I can't remember what it is now, actually. But it's also a, a similarly decent one. But in both cases, none of their abilities are tied to the Doctrine. Yeah. So the, the nerf affected Ultramarines not at all. Except for just if you focus on a, on a Devastator-style Ultramarine's armor, you don't get the minus one additional AP on heavy weapons after turn one. Yeah. Likewise, if your army was, say, Blood Angels, uh, where or, or um, Space or Wars. Scars or Space Wars, where you want to be in, in um, yeah. Assault Doctrine, you can be as soon as turn three, and you can stay in that as long as you want. Well, so you have to stay in that, basically, for the remainder of the game. So, if, Essentially, you're... Yeah, you get a benefit, a buff. Yeah, so you get three to four turns guaranteed in the doctrine you want to be in, whereas you know the other the armies that were doing well get one turn guaranteed, and that's it. They, they're guaranteed yeah. to only get the one turn. So if your opponent goes for, um, you know, you go first, and your opponent's got a lot of stuff in deep strike and all their other stuff in hidden line of sight, um, you could get next to nothing. You know, you, you better hope you take a whole bunch of thunderfire cannons to to shoot yeah. stuff which is not visible. Um. So I think it was quite controversial. Now, I think that most people I've spoken to feel that the overall, the move was good in that it did shake up what people were playing at at tournaments. But yeah. it does exemplify, I think, the problem we've got now where um, 
tournament play drives all play. Um, the, you know, effectively, you know, you, you and I and our friends just want to have a casual you know, at home game. Um, where we don't play broke-tastic armies, where we do play fluffy armies, um, we've got to keep up with knowing what's happening with the, the meta. Like, I, I, I still can't remember. I mean, I, I think, so with rapid fire now, I think vehicles don't get to rapid fire at full range anymore. Is that right? Uh, like, I think Terminators still do and bikes still do, but not vehicles anymore. Um, I don't think vehicles ever were. I thought vehicles, were, when they first brought out the rule which let them, like, fire, even at, double, even, oh. even at full range. It applied to vehicles. They took that away later on because there were too many people with Land Raider Crusaders tooling around with their 24 shots of Hurricane Bolters. Yeah, possibly. So, it is the nature of the beast. They've got to, they've got to basically make this game applicable to the tournament scene because the tournament scene certainly drives sales. Um, yeah, because yeah. there is that person who goes, Oh, I've got this massive 2000 point Iron Warriors list that's now gone to hell because they've nerfed it. I'm going to sell that whole thing on eBay, and I'm going to go and buy a brand new whatever whatever latest hotness is. You know, are we all that back yet? I've got to go buy some other. Um, which did mean that you know there were a lot of cheap relic dreadnoughts on eBay right after the uh, right after the uh, the nerf. Yeah. But I mean, how are you feeling about where 40k sits right now? Keeping in mind that there are lots of rumours that we are close to a ninth edition. I don't think we are, No. to be honest. Uh, I think they're going to do more living rule set. If they do, they'll call it 8.1 or something, or 8.2. Yeah, because it feels like, you know, part of... Because um, I think there are certain things that have worked in Age of Sigma they want to bring into 40k, like persistent spells, for example. Um, yeah. Because they've been able to sell boxes of just spell miniatures, basically. And I think they'd like to get some of that into 40k. So a lot of people sort of thought that's what we'd see with Psychic Awakening would be this move towards new stuff they could sell, more stuff they could sort of develop in terms of the meta. Um, but it's also, it's, it is driving the, the back-end storyline as well, because now we've seen with the novels that um, we're on to the Siege of Terror now. We're actually, with the Horus Heresy, they have moved past all the lead-up stuff, the lead-up 50-odd books, and yeah. now they're focused on what actually happens on Terror. And where are you up to, by the way, with your Horus Heresy reading now? Um... I haven't actually got any further. Okay. You mean- I got stuck on that, on that bloody um, Thousand Suns book, the first one. Oh, okay. A Thousand Suns. Or yeah. Pro- no, oh. no, Crossroad Burns is later. That's right. A Thousand Suns is the first one. Are you, are you, you know, you're in the Magnus Did Nothing Wrong camp, or are you, you know... Oh, <laughs> you'll probably hate... I mean, I, I didn't I didn't like Prospero Burns very much, um, but that one was told from the point of view of the Space Wolves, though, and... I think the audience knows your and my feelings about Space Wolves. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole contingent of people that don't listen to the show because of it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're also doing more. I mean, so I don't remember if we talked about it in the show because I'm trying to remember when this book came out. Um, but the the new book that came out about Celestine and Inquisitor Greyfax, in my opinion, has really set the the pace or set set the scene for a new Imperial Civil War. So, if you're not familiar with if I haven't mentioned on the show, you haven't read it before, um, basically, it goes back to the Age of Apostasy, uh, where you had uh, Yog Van Dyer as the, um, both the Ecclesiarch and the Head of the Ministratum, basically running the Imperium in his own way, uh, and he was defeated by, well, he was actually killed by Alicia Dominica, but he was resisted by Sebastian Thor. 
um, who then went on to become the next ecclesiarch uh, and eventually an imperial saint. Um, And part of the outcome of the Age of Apostasy was that the ecclesiarch, or Thor in this case, decreed that the ecclesiarchy would never again have men under arms. Um, And thus you've got the whole tongue-in-cheek reference to the fact that sisters of battle aren't actually men, so they can be warriors for the church um, without without any risk of that breaking that rule. Uh, so that's what that, they disbanded the, the, the Fraternus Militia at the time. Um, and in the latest book, basically, uh, it starts off with the fact that the now Ecclesiarch uh, has rescinded the Order Passive, which was Thor's instruction never again have men under arms. Um, so in this particular case, you've got the situation where he's saying, look, the, em- the Empire has been set on all sides. We need all the warriors we can get, so therefore... The church will want against have its own warriors. Um, obviously, the church runs the Scholar Progenium, which trains yep. things like commissars, Tempestus Scions. So he basically said, okay, anybody that was in the scholars who was intended to be handed over to the Tempestus, instead they're going to be handed over to the church now to form the new Fraterist Militia. Uh, and we spoke in the past about the fact that there are mechanisms both in the real world and in the 40K world to prevent empire building. You know, um, it's one of the things you talk about the um, the Army, Navy, Air Force uh, situation where, you know, a a general can have a whole group of soldiers that could easily take over a country, but he's reliant upon, you know, an admiral or, you know, the Navy basically to transport his troops to where they need to go, say, or the the Air Force as such. Um, So there's a sort of separation of powers where you can't have both you know, the forces to control something and the ability to move them wherever they want to go at the same time. Of course, the Marines, US Marines, break that rule a little bit because they are a ground force but also part of the Navy. But in the 40K universe, the Imperial Guard does not own any ships. They are reliant yeah. upon the Imperial Navy to get the Imperial Guard where they need to go to fight. So no matter how powerful an Imperial Guard general gets, he can never conquer more than the world he's currently on. Um... Whereas in the case of the church, they have pilgrim ships. So they can stand up an army in the form of the Fraterist Militia, and they can move anywhere in the Imperium to take over anything they want to take over. Uh, and so first off, you've got the fact that the Sisters of Battle, who are a part of the Ecclesiarchy, but also a part of the Inquisition, are sort of in this situation where we were the order militant of the church, but now there's this Fraterist Militia that was put forth by the Ecclesiarch, who we technically work for, they don't necessarily feel good about that. You've got the situation where Gulliman is saying, why do you guys keep saying God Emperor? He's not a god. His whole his whole shtick was, there are no such things as gods, not even me. Um, that I just feel that I can see this thing building up where there is going to be a civil war propagated between the Ecclesiarchy and the forces of the Imperium that are loyal to Gulliman um, over the religious conflict of is the emperor divine or not, um, and the ecclesiarchy will have an army to fight that war. Um, I'd say that that's probably the case, and I'd say probably that there's going to be a big reveal that the person behind it all will be um, Lorca. Oh yeah, absolutely. What's he been? Yeah. Is, he, is he a demon prince? I don't remember. He's a demon prince who secluded himself for ten thousand years. Okay, as you do. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> Probably working on the long game of doing exactly what he's doing right now. Yeah. Unlike those vampires who do all their stuff in a five-year cycle. 
Exactly. <laughs> so I think that could be that could be a great development for the 40k storyline. The only thing I think that that puts that down as a theory is the fact that there are no other than the sister battle, there are no miniatures that are released today that would represent an army of the church. Um, and that to sort of to make that a part of the storyline, they would need to bring out you know an ecclesiastical army. Uh, and that then brings the question of, well, you've now got, on the Imperial side, you've got Imperial Guard, you've got Space Marines, you've got Imperial Knights, you've got Sisters of Battle, you know, how many more... Detectors Mechanicus. Mechanicus yeah, how many more Imperial factions do you need to add to that list? Whereas, you know, Chaos have Chaos Space Marines and Demons. You know... Um, yeah, they, they really do need to bring out uh, Chaos Guard, um... It's got to happen. Yeah, I mean, we saw, we saw those um, models that came out with Blackstone Fortress. They were great, those those um, Renegade Guard models. Um, exactly. You know, they could do so much with Dark Mechanicus. Um, I mean, the new, the, the look at all the uh, the Renegade Knights that have come out, as opposed to what people were doing with conversions. There Still, there were some awesome conversions of Imperial Knights, but those new Renegade Knights do look great as well, though. Um, yeah. My only complaint is that I don't like all the, all the sort of spikes growing from the metal. You know, I, I don't. I, I like the knights. I just don't like the sort of the the, uh, the machine mutation. I don't. I have to say though, I miss mutation. Yeah. I remember when Chaos Marines were mutated. Yeah. Now look at the latest latest versions of Space Marines. The only mutations that are there in the latest models are on the possessed. Yeah, that's true. All Space Marines have no mutations. Yeah, no, no technical arms. Or... But it, it, it's it. I mean. Mutation used to be a part and parcel of chaos, and now it's just gone. Mm. So let's let's cause we, we're getting onto close to it's an hour twenty. So I want to sort of start to, to wrap some conversation up, and I want to get back to the um, the the, the role playing game topic. So, Mike, in your Wrath and Glory game, which is now changing to Dark Ages Second Edition, um, yeah. we are keeping the same characters. So we've still got yes. that, that acolyte, the tech priest, the assassin, etc. Um, but in the game before, we did a flashback to some pre-heresy era Iron Warriors, and yes. you have been sending around to us a um, a little book that you've created um, of rules for creating Astartes in um, Dark Area Second Edition, and yep. you've done rules for Iron like pre-heresy Iron Warriors, Alpha Legion, World Eaters, Death Guard, Space Wolves, so a bunch of traders and, and one not trader um yeah to within as much as you can uh say without spoiling the game because i'm a player of it tell me a bit about like the the, the design process there your thoughts behind how you sort of put that stuff together because i think a lot of people who want to get more out of the games than what they currently offer i think there's a benefit yeah. of understanding that that self-development process to put together more content for the game you love okay so First thing I did was, because I knew where I wanted to take, I wanted to take Jury and Chorus Heresy eventually for that those flashback scenes, but with characters that you guys have made yourself yep. rather than put together something I have. So first thing I did was look for examples of Space Marines that already existed in Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Like stat blocks, you mean? Stat blocks, yep. yeah. Just so I could see what I would consider intrinsic to being a Space Marine and things that that character has developed to become whatever they are. So, for example, I dug out the thing in the core book. They have a list there of um, background characters, yep. and one of them is a 
Death Watch Space Marine. So taking a look at that, I'm like, okay, straight away, traits, things which aren't learnt but are intrinsic to their physical makeup, unnatural strength, unnatural toughness, toughness yeah. amphibious. So obviously that's something they're going to have. So once you've worked out what's intrinsic to something you're doing like that, you put that aside. So first things first, research what you can, which is already close to what you want to do. So if you, know, if you want to make a Gene Stealer cult to play, look up the stats of Gene Stealers and hybrids and all that sort of thing so you can put it together and figure out what you can do with it. Um, then from there, look for books and fluff to, to flesh it out, which is really all I've done. I've gone to the 30K Horus Heresy books, dug stuff out of there to, to flesh out what I want to do. Um, you know, the, the, the little blurbs I've put at the top of each thing about the, the legions, I, I've pretty much ripped off straight out of those books. Yep. Um, this isn't getting published, so there's no plagiarism or, or, or stuff there, no problems with that, because it, it's for personal use only, and I own, own copies of the books. Problem solved. Yep. Um, beyond that, I, I suppose really have a good idea about what you're aiming to get out of it. So, for example, I know for a fact that playing Space Marines... Yes, they're going to be a lot more powerful than normal characters. So they're going to have equally powerful enemies, which are going to be other space marines. So so long as you keep that in line, you shouldn't have any problems. And you're happy with the company you've pulled out there? I think so, so far. Yeah, I mean, so far, I'm not going to know until I actually get to use it. Yeah, um, we'll have to see on the tabletop first off, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it looks pretty good at the moment. Okay. So, yeah, I, th I think it's just a, a, a good process to go through if you are looking at... And once again, even if you're playing Wrath and Glory and you want to sort of bring fresh elements in, um, it just requires a little bit of thought. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy, I think, to put those six sort of things together. And, and it, it also with Wrath and Glory, if we haven't mentioned it before, there is a guy who's done a whole bunch of work in putting together a whole bunch of different um, content uh, called uh, Apocrypha something. Um, it is linked from one of our earlier shows, um, but uh, Abundance of Apocrypha, that's it, um, where he has created probably at least 30 or 40 different archetypes to match everything across the 40 universe, everything from Harlequins to Gene Steeler colonists to, um, yeah, you can, you can pretty much play anything you want to. I don't think, once again, Timmy the Termagaunt misses out on having rules for playing Gaunts in, in Wrath and Glory. Um, once so those poor, those poor players. When will we ever get to find out? You know how how Timmy develops. But you know that's just that's the nature of the beast. You don't always get to see it. Um. Yeah. So I guess Mike, let's let's close out. So, uh, what are you working on currently, hobby wise? Um, I'm well, actually I'm working. I've been classified as not just essential but critical. I'm not even allowed to take a day off at the moment. Okay. So I've only got Ross days off, and I'm not working on a lot. I'm sleeping between my shifts. Spending time with your wife. Yeah, he's <laughs> stuck at home all day. Okay. Um, now nah, I'm still working on my Empress children at the moment. Yeah. I'm probably going to do a bit of work on Death Guard as well. Oh yeah. So then these are these are 40k era. Um, yeah, yeah, 40k era stuff. I mean, Death Guard is just easier to paint. They just if you're a little bit messy or. or Sloppy, it does have some battle damage and some grime, and you're good. But are you doing like the white Death Guard, like Heresy Era, or are you doing the, the green stuff? 
Bowling Green. Yeah, Bowling Green for mine. Okay. Yeah, I've got a, a few. That's more the that, yeah, that's more Heresy era timing, but yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, I've got I've really got probably two current projects I'm working on now. I'm sort of I'm spending my time between my Imperial Fists and my um, my Sisters of Battle. So, in terms of Imperial Fists, I've got all my characters painted. Um, so like my my um, captain, my librarian, my apothecary. Um, I've got one of my flies painted, my dreadnought painted. So pretty much, I've just got left my tap my troops, my three squads, my two repulses, and my other two flies. Um, and then the other side, I've got my sisters of battle, where I've pretty much been knocking out most of the once again the characters. So I've, I've knocked over Junith, whatever her name is, Junith Elucia or Lucia. Um, I've I've knocked over Celestine, um, and I've knocked over one of the tanks, and just sort of looking at the six squads of battle sisters and and uh, Celestians I've put into my army, and thinking there's a lot of models I've got to paint there. <laughs> And uh, yeah. a lot of black models, and I'm I'm really a bit over black models. I gotta say, with all my you know Death Watch and Raven Wing and Uthway Eldar. So yeah, well the only because there's there's two Sisters of Battle um, uh, orders that aren't black. There's the red one and there's the white one. Um, and the white one's rules aren't great, and the red ones are completely different. It's it's a close combat army, and I don't know. I just really struggle with Strength Three close combat armies. That's why you know I don't tend to take things like um, striking scorpions or um, howling uh, howling banshees in Eldar because strength three just can't cut it in melee combat, in my opinion. It depends what they're chopping up. Yeah, it's true. If they're, if they're chopping like nerglings, I'll, I'll happily I'll happily charge nerglings with anything, you know, with their, with yeah. their toughness too. Um, <laughs> but everything else, when you when you're rolling fours to wound, uh, even with a power sword, because power Not swords so don't add any strength. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, well, I hope that people have, you know, appreciated having a chance to hear from us again. Uh, once again, we're not, this is not us coming back long term at the moment. We're just coming in to, to drop some 40k on you while you're stuck in the house. Um, if you wanted to follow us, please do catch up with us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Um, once again, I'm running my rogue trader game every single weekend, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. Saturdays uh, on twitch.tv slash AP Gaming Reel. Uh, and every single session is available on YouTube afterwards at uh, youtube.com slash AP Gaming Reel, um, along with the entire first season of our Rather Than Glory campaign, which, as I said, had a nice beginning and a nice ending. So if you're sick of watching games like my old Dark Heresy game, which just stopped running partway through a, uh, a scenario, uh, and you want to actually see a co- cohesive story from start to finish, um, check out Arthur's channel, watch our, our Wrath and Glory games, and also check out my latest um, latest uh, Rogue Trader stuff. Mike, where can people follow you? Nowhere, I'm guessing. Nowhere. <laughs> You're not a public figure, are you? You won't you 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 even do video chat. I'd do video chat, maybe. <laughs> okay, so you heard it from Mike. We're going vodcast next, next issue, next episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you to wear a funny hat? Yeah, well, that's, I gotta say, that's, uh, my, my work has been coming up with, uh, various ways to try and make working from home more fun, including things like, um, funniest hat competitions during work phone calls, trying to get your kids and pets to come to the, to the screen as well. Um, I, I, I just want to get work done at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, whatever keeps people happy. Hey, my, my, my boss, my boss won a trivia contest for all his team. Uh, on, on Monday night, I won the trivia contest, so. Yeah, it was about yeah. it was about vi- virus-related movies. 
So. Pirates movies. Twelve Monkeys and. Twelve Monkeys, one of them. Yep. Uh, Outbreak. Uh, some of Outbreak. Um, yeah. Although, because I'm in an IT company, there were some IT things in there too. There was like a Matrix question. Um, huh. There was a hackers question. So, but um, yeah, there was like the, Andro- the Andromeda strain. I am Legend was in there. Um, a Mega Man. So they all lied. <laughs> I don't ever remember a scene in any of those where there's a hundred people standing outside of Woolies trying to buy toilet paper. <laughs> Woolies, for those who are the other countries, is a supermarket here. Woolworths is a supermarket chain. But yeah, no, certainly, yeah. Uh, look, uh, look, Australia started the toilet paper run. We were the first country to go mad over toilet paper, and other countries took our lead. So yeah, we're, we're ahead yeah. of the curve there. Um, but yeah, look, wherever you are, I hope you're staying safe. Uh, so if you're listening to this during the COVID-19 crisis, I hope you're staying safe. Stay at a Nurgle's garden. Stay inside your home. Um, yeah, protect protect your, your your family. Protect your um your community. Uh, you probably don't hear me. Remember, I'm not going to get political on you. Just look after yourselves. Look after your friends and family. And we hope to catch you on the side. Hopefully, by the time this is all said and done, there's a new version of Wrath and Glory out, and we can talk more about the role playing game. And we do look forward to getting back into. Well, I look forward to. I'm guessing you might look forward to getting back into doing some more podcasting, Mike. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is it is great when we get to interact with uh you guys as well via Facebook sort of stuff and so it's a bit quiet at the moment. But hopefully you've enjoyed this. We will catch you next time. I can't tell you what's gonna be on the next episode. I'll have to go go back and listen to the last episode. I'm pretty sure in the last episode I said what it'll be in this episode, instead of just us waffling on about forty K. That'll be in next episode. Yeah. Um which at the current rate should be in about six months. So November. Uh, no, no, uh, October. We'll try, we'll try, hopefully around Gen Con, July. That's it, yeah. But, uh, yep, do hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, etc. if you want to chat, and, uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Mike, thank you for joining me once again tonight. No problems at all. Thank you very much for having me. We'll catch you all next time. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Ang's Workshop or Ulysses North America. One of 40,000, Wrath and Glory, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Ulysses North America is a trademark of Ulysses Media and Spiel Distribution GmbH. All other materials are trademarks of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grim Dark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music was composed by Jens Kilstoffer and is used under license.